fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're gonna ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're gonna ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the Thirty Something Movie Podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. It's 30-something movie podcast. This is all of, actually all of our Southern listeners are probably either turning off right now or they're like, wow, I feel like I'm fully represented on this podcast. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to... Was it, what's that? You're going to get emails. I'm probably going to get emails. That's fine. It's a good thing I don't check any emails. Well, there you go. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going I'm to get them, whether or not I'm going to respond to them. That's a, that's a completely well, different yeah, question. Yeah, I can say that. Yeah. So. I'm going to get excited here. Folks. No. No. Yeah, email away. <laughs> Y'all can email to your heart's content. I'm going to sit here on the porch and just keep whittling away my best impression of Hank Hill right I'll tell you what that boy an all Texas Super Bowl his will be done (laughs) all right friends it is (laughs) I hope for your sake that it happens someday (laughs) it's never gonna happen (laughs) no way it's never gonna happen (laughs) Oh. I, I just don't see that being a thing. Just me. No. If God's people end up spending 40 years in the desert, you know, for whatever it was, then I feel like God's team is just going to spend forever not getting back to the Super Bowl. And you've come to peace with that, which is great. I mean, you- I kind of have. I in, in the same well in the same episode of King of the Hill that I'm referencing, I think Hank Hill makes a comment and he says something like you know, just because the Cowboys have one bad year, two bad years, or five bad years, <laughs> one, two, or five. Four, five. <sighs> yeah, that's all right. Hey, I've also been a Cubs fan long enough to to know how to go about doing this the right way. So there you go. I'm. Uh, I've made my peace with it. All right, friends. The reason for the Southern accent to begin with is we're talking about fried green tomatoes tonight. Mm-hmm. And not just the food. We're also talking about the movie because sometimes we get accused or maybe we accuse ourselves um, of becoming a food podcast when really we are supposed to be a movie podcast. Do we care? <sighs> I like I like food. I like food. Yeah. And it, this is why we run a podcast. But, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a little bit like Venom, the movie, but tastier. It's a symbiotic relationship, but I, if the suit was made of food, I would eat it. Yeah, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys. <laughs> if the <laughs> if if the moon was made of spare ribs, would you eat it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Yeah, so fried green. And of course, you know, by the time we get to three questions, one of the questions is going to be about food. So just so we're clear. Yes. Actually, I take, I, I take that back. I think two of the three questions are about food. They are. Good Lord. They are. <laughs> good Lord. All right. It's a Southern movie. So I gotta, instead of good Lord, I got to go with my grandma's favorite. Lord have mercy. Hmm. Lord have mercy. Hmm. All right. Well, if you can't tell already, uh, these two other fine Southern gentlemen that are with me here tonight are uh, Bo Warmbold. Bo, how you doing? I'm doing well, John. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Pat, Patrick Canagallo, how are you doing? Hey, all good. All right. With a last name like Canagallo, you know it's got to be Southern. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yes. Southern Italian. <laughs> yeah, that's there it is. There you go. That's exactly right, mm -hmm. man. All right. Well, just so you know, we do spoil the movies we talk about and other stuff, too. So just this is your only warning. Beware. Abandon hope. All ye who enter. Um, also, mm -hmm. the 30-something movie podcast is part of the Scene Stealers podcast network. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Scene Stealers International Convention Agents, who have a top-class roster of movie and TV stars ready to be booked now for your Comic-Con or event. For more information, check out www.scenestealersglobal.com. So thank you once again to them for being the sponsor for our show. Really happy to be a part of their podcast network. Um, if you want to check out more about our show and some of the other shows that are in the Scene Stealers podcast network, head on over to our website, 30podcast.com. You can rate the show, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer via Patreon, where you can get access to other exclusive episodes that we share there every month. So head on over to 30podcast.com and go check us out there. All right. Um, let's see. I think we can just go ahead and jump right on into our movie here. So our movie this time around is Fried Green Tomatoes. Or if, like I had mentioned, I think before we started recording, that uh, when this movie was being advertised in theaters, I was living in England at the time. Um, so it was Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe was the full title of it. Came out on the 24th of January, 1991. Rated PG-13 with a runtime of two hours and ten minutes. Directed by John Avnet, who also did The War and the TV series Justified. Producer on this one was John Avnet and Jordan Kerner. Avnet also produced Risky Business and Less Than Zero. Kerner also produced Three Musketeers and Inspector Gadget. Writer for this one, writers for this one were Fanny Flagg, uh, who also wrote the novel, and Carol Sobieski, who died in 1990. Flagg also wrote actress, uh, or no, not wrote, Flagg was also an actress in the movie Grease and Crazy in Alabama. Sobieski also wrote Annie and Two Marriages. Cinematography was done by Jeffrey Simpson, who did Shine and Cargo. Music was done by Thomas Newman, who did The Lost Boys, Skyfall, and 1917. Budget was 11 million. Box office was 119.4 million. So it made a little bit of money. Uh, Flick Metrics gives this one a 75%, and Cinema Score gives it an A. Kathy Bates plays Evelyn Couch. She was in Misery and Titanic. Mary Stuart Masterson plays Iggy Threadgood. She was in Benny and June and Some Kind of Wonderful. Uh, my wife really likes the movie Benny and June. She was asking when we were going to be doing that one. Um, I think it's next year. I think that's a 92. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that was, I remember watching that movie with her when we, like when we first started dating in high school, that was one of the first movies we watched together. So she's always liked that one. 
Mary Louise Parker played Ruth Jameson. She was in Red and the TV series Weeds. Jessica Tandy, who died in 1994, played Ninny Threadgood. She was in Driving Miss Daisy and The Birds. Cicely Tyson, who died just this year, 2021, played Sipsy. She was in Diary of a Mad Black Woman and The Help. Chris O'Donnell played Buddy Threadgood. He was in Scent of a Woman and The Three Musketeers. Uh, it, funny thing about Chris O'Donnell in this movie, I had not seen this movie before. So I was like, oh, Chris O'Donnell's in this movie. And it was like two seconds later. Oh, <laughs> never Chris mind. O'Donnell's not in this movie. <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had that. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had honestly forgotten Chris O'Donnell was in this movie mm-hmm. because he's in it for such a short period of time. And it just totally escaped my mind. Would you say you had a hard time keeping track of it? No, Lord. Oh, oh, oh boy. Yeah. I just set you up for that one. And yeah. Yep. I'm just going to sit here in my wrongness and be wrong. Mm-hmm. I, it happens so fast. I, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. No. This podcast is coming off the rails, guys. Let's get it back. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Oh, that's cute. Uh, <laughs> all right. I, I'm going to choo choo choose to continue. Uh, Stan Shaw played Big George. He was in the Monsters. I'm sorry, Bo. Uh, he was in the Monster Squad and Rising Sun. Uh, Gallard Sartain played Ed Couch. He was in The Outsiders and Mississippi Burning. Tim Scott, who died in 1995, played Smokey Lonesome. He was in Footloose and Days of Heaven. Uh, On one of trapped housewife Evelyn Couch's Wednesday nursing home visits, she encounters Ninny Threadgood, a colorful old woman who brightens Evelyn's outlook by sharing tales from her past. As Ninny recounts the exploits of her free-spirited sister-in-law, Iggy, owner of a small Alabama cafe in the 1920s, and the bond Iggy shared with her friend Ruth, Evelyn gains the confidence to change her own life for the better. Evelyn tried food. And... I'm sorry, honey. The game's almost over. I just want to see a little bit of it. She tried romance. If I'd answered the door wearing only cellophane, would you still be watching the baseball game? No, honey. I'd probably be checking you into a loony bin. Then, she met a new friend. Mrs. Cleo Threadgood, 82-year-old widow. Imagine that. (laughs) A good friend. I hate candy bars all over the house. What a candy bar ain't gonna hurt you, none. some advice you need some hormones and told her a story that began long ago did the name itchy thread good ring a bell no ma'am i don't think so you'd remember her itchy and her friend ruth ran the whistle stop cafe itchy was a character Did anybody really think she did it? Some said yes, some said no. Academy Award winner, Kathy Bates. Well, I got mad, and it felt terrific. Tawanda! Tawanda! And Academy Award winner, Jessica Tandy. How many of them hormones you taking, honey? You didn't kill Ed, now, did you? 
better because all these people will live as long as you remember. Friends. Best friends. Yes, ma'am! What are you doing? Face it, girls. I'm older and I have more insurance. All right, so same question we usually start with here. How does this movie make you feel? Amused. It makes me feel good. Good. Kind of like a, it just, you know, like a good warm meal, just good. Yeah, I will say for me, I think, I think the word, um, I think the word I would look for would be comfortable. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Comfortable. Now, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Is this the first time either of you have seen it or had you seen it before? Uh, I've seen it tons of times. Okay. First time for myself. Okay. This was very popular in in my house uh, growing up. My grandmother, um, which was kind of like the trifecta for her. Jessica Tandy fan. Um, she grew up in Kentucky, so any movie, you know, related to the South just worked for her. And then she actually did enjoy a fried green tomato. Like, that was a thing for her. She liked to make them, too. Um, and so it wasn't irregular to, you know, show up for Sunday dinner and have her had made some fried green tomatoes and said that you watched the movie this afternoon while she made them. Um, so because grandma liked it, I think it was on just kind of in the background a lot. Um, yeah, I, I'd seen it a bunch. Well, one of the things that was funny to me was, and, and I didn't know this before doing a little bit of research, watching this movie, the whole fried green tomatoes thing, that was not even necessarily a Southern dish until this movie came out. Mm-hmm. Like it really? was not a, you know, it's not something traditionally that you'd see a lot in the South. And then when this movie came out, then all of a sudden it's like, you know, restaurants are starting to serve fried green tomatoes. And they, you know, so it, it kind of became a thing, you know, it might've been a little bit here and there, but it kind of became more of a quintessential Southern thing after this movie. Definitely. Yeah. I never did find out where she first had because she had had them before the movie. Like, it was things she knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know that I ever heard that. I've had mm. my mom something. Yeah. And, Pat, you said this is the first time you'd seen it? First time I saw it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this one, I, I think part of my reason for saying comfortable is because um, it's very much, like, it, it just reminds me of, you know, it reminds me of growing up and it reminds me of going to, grandparents house or reminds me of going to like other relatives house because and i that that's well i guess i can go ahead and ask that question now because so much of so much of growing up and growing up in the south it just felt like it felt like so much of being in the south was related to storytelling and I, I don't want to go so far as to say, well, storytelling is just, you know, that's a thing only the South does because there's plenty of other, you know, 
countries and states and other places in the world where there are all kinds of storytelling traditions. But I think that that's something, if you were to describe, if you needed to try to describe the Southern United States, you know, what would make something culturally the Southern United States? Um, I think one thing that would have to come up would be storytelling. I think that's just such a big part of down there. And, and I don't know if it's, I've heard people say before, well, it's because of the climate. You know, it's like sometimes it's just so hot that, you know, everybody's, you know, you're, you're sitting on the front porch, you got your fans going, you're not really going anywhere. Um, everybody's just sitting around and talking or because, you know, it's, you know, because sometimes the, uh, especially in the winter months, the, the weather is maybe a little bit more, more mild enough that, you know, you can, you can get out and spend time with your family. But, you know, it just seems like everything in the South, and, and maybe that's not true anymore. Um, and I don't know if it was as true when I was a kid, but in just everything in the South always, people always talk about as being, you know, life is a little bit slower. And I don't think that's probably the case as much anymore, um, unless you get into further, you know, further into the South, other parts of the South. Um, I think that's probably much more of a rural thing because I, I could just about guarantee you I could go to downtown Dallas, Fort Worth, and I don't think life is a whole lot slower down there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but just things, things are a little, you know, even in certain parts of when I go visit family in Austin, you know, things are Austin is a big city now. Um, mm -hmm. things are still even a little bit like I notice it. I notice things are even a little bit slower in places like Austin as compared with a Chicago or somewhere like that. So, I mean, I think there is a difference. I think there was much more of a difference. I remember being much more of a difference when I was a kid, but I remember like more out in the country, even today, you know, when we would go visit family in Southwest Missouri, life is, is very much slower than it is in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that pace of life, the the climate, the just all of that, I think just lends itself to storytelling. So I think that's something. So that, that was going to be one of my one of my first questions for us is why are there so many storytelling movies that take place in the South? Like is that do you feel like when you when you watch movies, does it feel like there's an overabundance of movies that focus very much on storytelling and family that take place in the Southern United States? Because I'm thinking about movies that even we've done just in the last few years. I'm thinking like Driving Miss Daisy. Um, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of this one, Fried Green Tomatoes. I'm thinking of Steel Magnolias. I mean, there's just a mm -hmm. bunch of. But and for the most part, they all take place in the South. And again, Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise. Yeah, that does not mean. Again, that does not mean that you can't. You know, well, I, I told a story, and I'm not from the South. That doesn't mean that that's not the case. But I think mm -hmm. it just seems like maybe and maybe and it's a Hollywood thing too. Maybe Hollywood makes that connection mm -hmm. more than the rest of us do. That well, when you think of the South, you think of stories. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I'm the only one here that's actually from the South. So I, I would be curious to know how you guys feel about that. Do you feel like that's, does that seem to you like, oh yeah, I, I think of that as like a Southern thing. I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, not being from the South or really having much family from the South. I, you know, I can't relate to that now. Granted, it does seem like there's been a run of movies that we've 
been reviewing in the last couple of weeks that are. Um, I think I want to preface everything with my perspective because I don't want this to be kind of like a point counterpoint, you know, argument rebuttal kind of situation. I think of it just in terms of, you know, maybe more of a rural slash suburban thing. Um, I mean, my family's all like Minnesota. I went to school up in Wisconsin and I mean, it was a smaller town in Wisconsin where I went to school. My family, uh, from a small town, like my mom grew up like right on the prairie, you know, right at the edge of the prairie up in Minnesota and stuff. So there's a little bit of that small town kind of thing. And that is something I, I remember from visiting family is very much like suddenly there would be just, well, you know, and then all of a sudden it would be a, a story and the story might be a setup for actually the story that's being told was the story that you're hearing right now kind of sets that up. Cause we're, we're talking about the lake, but really I'm going to tell you about the guy that, you know, owns such and such of a such and such company. And he has this big place up the way. And then we're just going to talk all about who owns what around the lake. But then the whole thing kind of leans around to really what the story was about, but you get this whole narrative kind of thing. And I, um, you know, when we did the, the, uh, uh, the radio show podcast episode, you know, I talked about the Prairie home companion being one of my favorite radio programs of all time. And in my mind, like hearing that, you know, the way Garrison Keeler would tell stories and all that, that to me kind of reminded me of being with some of my extended family. Do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I get like, I mean, I could get how that's maybe a Hollywood thing, you know, like, you know, Iron Man is popular. So now we have six gajillion Superman or Superman, a superhero movies, right? You know, like, I mean, I could get where, oh, let's set the story in the South because that's, that's kind of the mold. That's what sells. So that's the story you have to write. Um, and I think. And, and, no and is it yeah. like not to, not to criticize or, or make fun of an accent? Cause I'm not at all. Um, is it, do you think maybe it's because a lot of times the Southern accent is, is viewed as a more charming accent? Like not, not to pick on Minnesota at all, but I think that if, if you, you know, stereotypically, you mm. know, I think some people hear a Minnesota accent and they, and they think that it's, I don't know, maybe that it's, I, I hear it and I hear like, Minnesota, Wisconsin. And, and I think of like, I think of those areas and I think that it's got a charm to it, but I wonder if like Hollywood and, you know, things like that are like, well, but it's Southern, there's Southern charm. And I, the only reason I say that is because Southern charm is actually a phrase. There, there's not Wisconsin charm and there's mm -hmm. not, you know, Minnesota, those are, as far as I know, those are not phrases. And I'm not saying right. that to like pick on you and, and your, your family from Minnesota. No, I'm no. Just, I'm wondering if, when Hollywood looks at different accents, I wonder if they're just like, well, you know, they have storytelling all across the country, but it just sounds better when it's done yeah. in Southern accent. Sure. Sure. I'm, I wonder I mean, if I'm that's sure the case too. Things. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sure all those things and yeah, they, those things could, uh, could definitely happen. I think, you know, yeah. in my, you know, I have not done any sort of testing or, you know, control group studies of, of the, 
of the thing. But yeah, I could see where, you know, Hollywood is building towards a certain brand. And I, I don't want to refute and say that in any way, shape or form that what you had said, because I'm, I, you know, you were talking about like experiences that you have growing up and living now and family. So I think those are very valid experiences. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms it's, of it's that, not exclusive to the South. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I would probably say it's not exclusive to the South. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a different, it's just a different, it's just a different thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And And it's, yeah, it's just a different thing. Yeah. I also, you know, I spent, I worked on a farm for a good portion of like middle school, high school and all that. And there were some folks on the farm that were older. And I remember, you know, I just would naturally talk to them and get to know them and kind of like to listen to them, tell stories and all sorts of some of these folks that I worked with that were, that were older that were working on the farm. I mean, they would start unfolding these stories, especially about when they were younger. And you, and you know, that's kind of, as I was growing up, you know, just realizing, you know, that's when that kind of dawns on you that, you know, older people are just younger people with more years or younger people are just older, the same as older people, just they haven't gotten there yet. You know, I mean, that it's not like there's different groups and some of these stories that they would unfold when it was just like, you did what? I mean, it was, it, it, you know, that kind of reminded me of this movie, um, you know, as well. And, uh, so just not only that idea of storytelling and, you know, you get together and you, you make the nine hour drive to see the family and then all of a sudden 10 hour drive. And then, you know, you sit down and yeah, the, before the cousins get permission to go outside and play and, you know, raise cane and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you're just sitting there and just kind of everyone's catching up and, Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Well, they got a deal going on there. And let me tell you about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's, it's, it's story time, but like just in some of the places that I worked, there were people that had stories, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, like you said, sometimes it'll be like, you're listening to a story and you're like, wait, you did what? Oh, yeah. did, did, did what like there would be yeah. like some of the some of the the most some things that people would, would be like shocked at or surprised at come out as the most casual part of the story right you know you like i had this i had this uncle fact. yeah i had this uncle bud and he would uh, you know he'd tell stories all the time you know he between him and and my grandpa and they'd be telling stories all the time and and i remember one time he's he's talking and he's telling a story this is not even the main part of the story but uh, mm-hmm. he's telling the story, <clears throat> and he's like, well, yeah, it was when I was in the Marines, and uh, that one year that I was the world judo champion for the Marines, that this one thing happened, and I was doing it, and I was like, whoa, whoa hold on, wait, stop, hold on a second now. Mm-hmm. You were the what? Mm-hmm. He's like, the world judo champion in the Marines. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, really? You? Yeah. <laughs> I go, Okay. You know, and, stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, and then, of course, you get always you always get kind of like the fun, awkward stories. Like I may have told this one before, but the first time uh, Sharon ever went down to Missouri with the rest of our family, like we were still it was still high school. We were still dating in high school and she came down with us to see the family one time. And I, I may have already told the story because I can see Pat's already laughing. Tell it again. It's it's mm-hmm. wonderful. And it's we probably have not even been in the door for, I don't know, five minutes. 
And already, just like you said, Pat, like the moment you, before anybody gets permission to go do anything else, the family's got to start telling stories. And I remember, I think it was my, it was my grandpa. It was probably my grandpa. Yeah, it was my grandpa. Um, you know, cause they're, they're sitting around talking and they just start talking about, oh God, all, all kinds of stuff. And he's like, I don't know, at one point in time, he's like, well, you know, there's, there was a lot of kids in our family that was born in uh, November because, well, you know, in February, we didn't have heat in the house. You got to stay warm somehow. <laughs> uh, that's like, right. Oh, Grandpa, come on. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. You didn't have to tell it like that. This is not the first impression. that. <laughs> and, <sighs> and, and at least in... in uh, in, in, in my family see and, and she it's, was it's, pregnant and she was about to have this one baby and it done uh you know she i think she fell down it done broke her pucker string like it what what is, <laughs> I, no i don't want to know i don't know what <laughs> i don't i don't, don't want to know that's <laughs> not to ask some questions really no well no it, and you got to be careful not you got to be careful, but the way the you gotta be careful with your bucket string. <laughs> you got to be careful with your bucket string. But you know, there's sometimes when you can tell stories, and the doesn't matter what the plot or what the but the story you're telling is just this is how cool I am. Yeah. Right. You know, there's those stories. Yeah. And and but this isn't that. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. And then there's the other kind of storytelling where it gets into the fish stories. Mm-hmm. Oh, 20 foot. Uh, no, man, I caught a four foot bass. Mm-hmm. Oh, you caught a four foot bass. I caught a 12 foot bass. It looked like mm-hmm. an eel. Oh, really? You know, like you get it. There's that. But and this you know, is- the story that you hear this year, somebody news in the room next year, that fish got bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And it's not it's- like and it's not a linear progression either. It's exponential yeah. or 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 that, um, you know. Like, how fast did you drive down here? Oh, you were at oh. 60? Oh, I was driving I was driving 80. Oh, and it's like Big time. And, it's and time like, ever. Yeah, and and I think it was the fastest time ever. Everybody else's <laughs> times are loser times. My time was the fastest. Um, but it's it's you, like you have the uh, best times. <laughs> the best times. But this is it was the best times. It was the worst times. Worst times. <laughs> That's yes. But this is different. Like this storytelling thing, it's 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 different. And like what I when I'm talking about like being with family and the uncles and the aunts and telling stories, it, it would be it's different. It's not like these stories are here to make us seem cool. Mm-hmm. It's just more of a narrative. And right. many times I'll you're, remember you're like, a, like, you're like a living newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> and when and and sure there'd be some humor yeah. or there'd be some jokes, but if but like if someone tried to make it like a competition, most of the time it would just kind of, okay, well, we go in the kitchen, help get some order. Like every, it's like, nope, that's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if someone started to tell the story that was just so someone and, and someone would just cut them right down to size. Mm-hmm. Really? Huh? Really? Oh, well, wow, that's a heck of a deal. All right. If you'll excuse me here or, Oh, how fast did you drive down here? Mm-hmm. Huh? What was my time? Uh, 400 you know yeah. just something just to kind of like i didn't know dead i didn't know dead fish could gain weight that's amazing yeah, it, yeah exactly <laughs> but you know what i'm saying it's like yeah. there's those stories that that are like the fish stories and there's the stories that are like okay is is the moral of this story like every other moral that you're cool like i mean i get it but is that kind of where we're driving to in this whole thing um but no it's like the living newspaper that's what the story thing is you know God, that just reminds me of the time. And then 
and and to make it a good story like anything you got it's got to be compelling and just competition isn't compelling oh right. you caught this fight or or this is how awesome i am isn't compelling and that's where like the story where you know like you said that like wait you were the marine corps judo <laughs> champ like what but that wasn't the point of the story right that was just a part of the story and it's just like yeah well let me get to the point you know i mean mm -hmm. If it's if it's done right, it's it's this it's like a volley in volleyball, right? It just it keeps going. Mm -hmm. No one gets the point. That's not well in volleyball. That's the point. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. this this idea of storytelling and well, and eventually, as you're volleying it around the room, you're also bringing in the other neighbors that live down the street. Right. Right. Well, the one guy did this, and well, you know, she's related to that old boy down there that's named, uh, and then everybody like back and forth. Well, did you hear about them too? They got to, and, yep, yeah, oh yeah. Um, so that's one of the fun things about this movie is it's it's kind of it's got the it's got that structure of getting the flashbacks, kind of you're telling mm -hmm. the story through these flashbacks, and you know sometimes sometimes with a movie like this, the the story in which everything is being narrated, so the story where you have Jessica Tandy and Kathy Bates, um, sometimes that can be a little bit, you know, when you cut back to those scenes, sometimes in some movies like that part is like, okay, great. You know, let's just, you know, I guess we're just, we're going back to this piece of the structure here, but you know, I'm kind of looking at my watch going, all right, well, when do we get back to the actual, you know, good part of the story? But the fun thing about this movie was both, both parts of the story, whether it was the flashback or whether it was the present day stuff, they were both fun. They were both good mm -hmm. because you still right. had her character, Kathy Bates character was still trying to, you know, become more assertive or, you know, figure out what she wanted. And, um, you know, and, and hearing these stories kind of drove her forward as well. Um, but then you jump back to the, you know, the 1920s and, you know, the rest of that story is compelling too, as you're kind of following those characters. So that was one of the nice things about this movie is sometimes, sometimes they can tend to be a little unbalanced, you know, and, and one is definitely stronger than the other, but I think, and it might be a testament to the cast of the movie too, that I felt like both storytelling structures were equally strong in this one. Mm-hmm. Because Kathy Bates' character, like all those seminars she goes to, those were hilarious. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. And just as she's trying the different stuff and, and uh, you know, and I, I kept, uh, you know, her, uh, was it Ed was her husband? Yeah, Ed. Um, and I just kept picturing him from the Ernest movies. Like yeah. I couldn't get past that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you, you just, you felt for her because I mean, all the stuff she was getting into and then they're talking about all this stuff and she's just like, oh my God, yeah. this is, I mean, like, you know, and talking about body parts and the whole thing. And, and I mean, it's uh, like, I want something different, but this is not what I had in mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, it, it just, you know, the husband just would not see her, you know, it was not. Mm -hmm processing that and i thought it was a very you know it was a very how they were able to work that whole thing out in the end you know and then uh you know and it was like you know i need her you know that the jessica tandy character was going to move in he's like i don't think we're going to do that she says i don't think you understand you know <laughs> this is happening you know it, it was 
it was um uh, yeah i just thought i thought it was a very it was a very beautiful story you know i thought it was cool i i like the bit about when she was at the you know the the retirement home visiting the aunt that would always throw her out or whatever. And that's where she met Jessica Tandy. I, for a time I worked, there was a place called the Adelorada Villa. Um, right. Yeah, 10 times fast. Yeah. No kidding. And <laughs> wow. it was a, it was a, it was, a. you know, I remember, I wish I remember exactly, but it was a big uh, retirement complex and everything. And I remember I'd volunteer over there. My mom worked over there a lot. And, and there was a time that I'd volunteer and I worked there for a little bit. And yeah, you get to know the, the different residents and that's what would happen is you just meet these folks with just so much, you know, they've lived life and, uh, yeah, and they've just got stuff. Yeah. And not everything is a Hollywood movie where, you know, like you get this kind of thing, like with Jessica, Tandy's character, but it is, it's, it's, uh, that, that hit for me. It was like, Oh wow, that's cool. You know? And that's where she met her and became friends and all this kind of thing. Now, one of the interesting things about this movie, and we talked a lot last week, uh, when we were talking about, um, Thelma and Louise about, you know, strong female characters, feminist movies, that one being at the time, you know, a pretty progressive movie and for its theme and content and everything else. Um, now this one is kind of interesting because, um, and my wife had seen this one before I had not seen this one before, but in some of the research I had done, it was interesting to me that this movie kind of, after the fact, I think maybe a little bit at the time, but a little bit more so maybe after the fact that this movie really got picked up for the kind of the, well, in the movie, the implied, I guess in the book, it's, it's more than implied. Um, but the implied relationship between, uh, Ruth and Iggy that they were more than just friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they purposefully, I think John Avnet to the director and, and the producers as well wanted to avoid that. They wanted it to be more a story about friendship and have that not be something that was an overt part of the movie. Um, but I, that was a comment that I made to my wife when we were watching this. I said, you know what, if they made that today, that would definitely be an overt part of the movie. Like that would be oh, yeah. probably the central theme of the movie. And I said, even for, even for trying to hide it, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Hide might not be the right word, but for not choosing to focus on that piece, there is still so much here that you could, you Mm -hmm. could take it in that direction uh, if you so chose, or you, I guess you could just say it's, they're just really good friends. But, um, you know, that was something that I thought for, for a movie in 1991, um, I thought that it was it was interesting that that was, you know, very much it seemed like very much a part of the movie. Um, yeah, there's a part of me that wonders the way they portrayed it would have been more true to the time and place, though. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I didn't live at that time in that place, but I feel like. I don't know. That would have been one of those like worst kept secrets in town sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I feel like by not being so overt, it might have been more true to the setting to the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I, so let me ask you this question because I did read this. I think this was on IMDb and I saw it in a couple other places. Um, there is the thought that uh, Jessica Tandy's character, Ninny Threadgood, is actually Iggy. How do you feel about that? Do you think she is? Uh, I. I read up and they, I saw a thing that said, yeah, people, I kind of read like the behind the scenes, behind mm-hmm. the scenes. And they said, well, she's not. So that kind of like X'd it out in my head. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like the before possible- you read that, did you think it was possible? Is it something? Cause I don't feel they played it that way. I, but- no. Yes. I agree with you. Yes. I agree with you. How am I trying to say? Yes. I agree with you or no, I agree with you. However, I agree with you. Yeah. Either way I, you like, agree. I uh, yeah. When I first watched it, my first got, my first reaction was, "Did I miss? Wait, who? Now who is the old character? Have they established it? Okay, she said she had a crush on the. Well, if she's Iggy, then she had a crush on her brother. That sense, that line didn't make much sense. Okay, right. unless she's unless she's deliberately trying to throw. You know throw it throw the story off but then i'm like well that wouldn't make much sense and then as they were jumping back and forth um i kind of felt like okay the person telling the story isn't in the story by the by the middle part of it and then that's when i started reading up and it was like oh no she was the sister-in-law right iggy's brother married her no iggy married her brother or i don't know what but somehow she you know, in the whatever the heck it was, they said she kind of married into the family. So. Well, it's I, I guess I in the they, in the novel, it's very cut and dry that they are two different people. What I was reading mm-hmm. up said that they are definitely two different characters. They interact with each, Iggy and Ninny interact with each other in the in the novel. Um, but I think it's I think part of it is that she's she's a little bit of an unreliable narrator because there are some things that she does tell about you know having you know having the home to go back to and everything else that don't end up being true um you know so she she is lying about a couple of things whether intentionally or not and then i think for the rest of it the one thing that had me leaning towards believing that she is iggy in this movie is how else would she know so many of these details of the story when we don't ever see a character named Ninny that shows up in any of these other situations in the flashbacks. Yeah. There yeah. was always that. Like why, why don't, why didn't you just put her in one, what does it take? One scene? Mm-hmm. She has to show up at the wedding and that's about yeah. it. Or somebody just waves I'm like, Hey Ninny. Right. <laughs> it wouldn't even have taken a second, but then you start to wonder, did they really have to? Right. You know, you, you, you can always play that, uh, that little back and forth well then maybe that's part of the fun just keep it a little ambiguous yeah it it, it was you know not everything needs to be spelled out for mm-hmm. a compelling story and it was a compelling story i think both timelines i thought you know the whole movie i thought it was very uh yeah i i, I very much enjoyed the story and the other thing too is how many times have we talked about a movie where you know it's like God, there are so many different plot threads going on here. They they need to focus, right? They need to they need to pick one and really focus in on that because all these other things, it's it's like the mile wide, inch deep kind of thing. And that's where 
if they had explored, you know, a, uh, um, a romantic relationship for lack of a better term, uh, a, a romantic relationship between, um, Iggy and Ruth, Ruth, right. Um, if they had really explored that, if they were going to do it justice, that would have to be a big focal point of the movie. Then what are you going to do? Are you going to make it a two and a half hour movie or are you going to cut something else out? If you cut something else out, okay, well then how does that enhance the overall of what they're trying to tell? Do, do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, now, I, I, and I'm not trying to say like, oh, well, you know, we, we don't want to show, uh, uh, you know, a homosexual relationship on the film, you know, uh, no, that's fine. You can do that. Like, cool. But then what are you going to take out? And is the overall balance of the movie going to be thrown off? Same thing here. You know, you could put more character, you know, more stuff in and spell it all out and put, um, uh, I, the, I forget the gal's name. Um, Ninny. Mm-hmm. The older one. You, yeah, yeah. You can put Ninny in these scenes, but then is that going to just look like, okay, we had to check the box. There's Ninny. Okay. Everything is, set and when someone starts telling you a story especially if it's a stranger kind of relating a story from the past you sometimes have to see it a couple times to put it or hear the story a couple of times and sometimes the story isn't always the same every single time and it's kind of like wait a minute now say that again now hold on a second iggy was who no it was this okay now who's the other one that was Betty. No, there's no Betty. It was Ruth. Oh, that's right. Ruth. Okay. I'm with you now. Right. Like that's a whole component of the storytelling thing. And I think you might lose that feel in the movie if you start putting in exact details. Right. Whereas in a book, you can do all those things and still make it like kind of build that storytelling kind of feel to it. In a book, you can have multiple different plots going on and be a mile wide and a mile deep in a movie. Uh, you, you kind of have to, to pick and choose. Do you know what I'm saying? So that would just be my thing as, as to why maybe Minnie didn't feature back in the day or why they didn't have, you know, um, really portray Iggy and Ruth as, you know, lesbians um, overtly. Now, maybe 1991, they were, maybe they were gun shy about it. I, like, I don't know. But I mean, um, I, I just think, the movie just seemed to flow so well and it was entertaining. And I, 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 for me, I never really once looked at my watch. Like I was never like, okay, can we move it on here a little bit? It was just like, Oh wow. Like what's going to happen next? Um, you know, and I think would an extra half hour of more movie was it, would it, would it be a more movie, more better situation or would it be, uh, this is a little out of balance. Let's keep the movie how it is. Go read the book if you want more story. That's that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. I will say one of the most surprising, this being the first time I had seen it, one of the most surprising and funny parts of the movie is the uh, funeral for the severed arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. I was like, because you have the repeat of the scene with the train, and, and the kid's even named Buddy. I mean, you're just kind of asking for it. And yeah. uh, and I'm like, oh, wow. they Wow. They killed... Nobody should ever be by those train tracks. Like, they killed somebody else, and then they show you're having the you have the, the gravestone. And I think even somebody, like, makes a comment. They're like, well, it's kind of strange. He wanted to have a funeral for his arm, but... 
well, yeah. there's lemonade in the in the diner if anybody wants it. And I'm just sitting there going, wait, hold on. They, a few, oh, okay. I like <laughs> the throwaway line, like, don't call him stubby or something yeah. like, because wasn't Iggy calling him stubs or yeah. stubby or stump? Maybe? Stump. 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 Was stump. That's what yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah. Well, and then, of course, I wanted to use all the same jokes that they use in Army of Darkness and, and uh, Evil Dead and have like have him holding like a copy of Farewell to Arms or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that train tracks. That's the real deal. Tammy grew up. She had train tracks right in her backyard. Mm. Um, well, actually, no, behind her backyard. They didn't go through her backyard, you know. Right. Um, but that was, you know, there, there'd be times like in high school, you know, there'd you know, she'd have a party or something like that. Not like folks are out party party, you know, but I mean, it sanctioned and all that kind of stuff. And I remember there'd be times that people would be like, yeah, let's go walk on the tracks. And her folks were like, uh, no, 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 no. Stay the heck off those tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had train tracks back behind my house, but it was like at the, behind a field. Like it was not, okay. not anywhere near, not near the house at all. It was maybe like at least a hundred yards away. Okay. But I do know now it was, it was it actually had to been more than that. Yeah. Had to been more than that, but it was close enough. I always remember being terrified as a little kid because, you know, down in Texas, we, we get tornadoes. And I remember as a little kid, he was a teacher or somebody described, I mean, they're trying to tell us little kids like how to know when a tornado is coming. And it, they're like, well, you know, a tornado sounds like a freight train coming. And so then, of course, as a little kid, anytime I heard a train yeah, coming down the train tracks, you know, 200 yards, whatever, plus, you know, behind my house as a little kid, I was like, it's a tornado. Is that a tornado? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of wish somebody sure. would have described that sound a little differently to me as a kid, because yeah, yeah. I spent a lot sure. of spent a lot of really like sunny, nice days thinking a tornado was coming. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, Tammy, Tammy, uh, we'd be at Tammy's in the backyard, and then the train would come by, and it would be so. Anyway, I, I, you know, can't talk now because you know, and and that's that yeah. sucker, that sucker would go by, and that was, you know, like she had a backyard size mm -hmm. backyard and then you open the door to the fence and there was the train tracks mm -hmm. you know the uh, worm going up to the thing and there goes they were close to my house that's crazy yeah but um, um it's kind of cool if you like trains yeah I, there's some cool stuff about it for sure it's like the scene in blues brothers where the train goes by and he falls out of the bed <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but uh no but yeah stay the heck off those tracks though yeah Was there a, did you have a scene in the movie that uh, if you kind of pinpoint, like, this is one of your favorite scenes? <laughs> Bo has one. I do. I do. What is it, Bo? Parking lot scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where she just rams into that car and she goes, mm -hmm. I'm older. I have your insurance. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. younger and faster, honey. <laughs> Something about that. Just so good. I um, I was very struck by one of the buildups to that scene when that uh, little jerk of a kid elbowed her out of the way. And she was just like, why are you doing this? Like, why? Like, what mm -hmm. is it? And then he just just comes out with all that just vile, 
you know, and I just feel like I could just feel, you know, just anger. Like, I mean, I was just getting angry, you know what I'm saying? And it was like all the things like you want to say something, you know, probably all the things that would do nothing but inflame the situation. And I mean, obviously that kid was a deadbeat, not going anywhere. Uh, you know, I, I, right there. Like I want to just spin it off with like as many words as I can. Hear. That scene really struck with me when she was sitting there. And, and I mean, she was like that, that I don't want to say broke her like end of story, but I mean that, and I thought she played that really, really well. I mean, it, you could feel how hurt she was. She's just like, you know, it's just kind of like, what is go- like, why does this keep happening to me? Like, what is going on? Yeah. You know? And I thought that really, I thought that really summed up kind of what her, her thing was, you know, I mean, and not to, not to say that the husband was a big jerk and, you know, I mean, marriages are hard, you know, you got to work at them. And, you know, that was like a, Oh man, like, I hope I'm paying enough attention to, you know, like, I mean, you know, it kind of made me, you know, introspective and, and all that kind of stuff a little bit, but yeah, that really, uh, I could feel the hurt in that one when she was just like, yeah, like I, ugh, yeah. Well, if Tammy makes you a low cholesterol meal, just be careful. Yeah, that's right. Well, and that's the whole <laughs> joke of it. The guy's like, I can't eat this. And it was like, looked like a pretty darn good piece of sushi. I know. I, mean, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like. It's mm. funny you say that because I, that's the exact same comment I made as we're watching the movie. I'm like, oh, do not push aside a perfectly good piece of sushi. <laughs> yeah. Ease up on the mm-hmm. sushi there. And the thing was, my only problem with not problem, but my only thing with the plate is like like quantity you know mm-hmm. i just feel like okay well i could use about 20 rolls of that sushi mm-hmm. and about 16 pieces of that you know mm-hmm. um that other thing but it's just you know that i think that guy kind of had probably like you know meat potatoes mm-hmm. you know like that's the that's what a meal is um i did like that line in that scene too when he, <laughs> when she's like it's a low cal- low cholesterol meal happy valentine's day yeah. And and he's like, Are you trying to kill me? She's like, if I was gonna kill you, I'd use my hands. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. And you know, I mean, here's where the immature this is why I don't make movies. But like that whole car scene, you know, she took it out on those gals like making the comments. And that was good because that was like and that's that's kind of my biggest problem with, you know, people. It's just like it's like why 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 are you making like and that's where i felt like with her like what's like why would you why would you do this do you know what i'm saying like why would you make those comments and you know it's just like yeah like hey man you just stole my you stole my spot and it's just like do do you feel better like you're high-fiving each other and you're all good like that kid you know the immature side of me wanted to kind of see that kid get his comeuppance. You know, I kind of was like, oh man, I wish it was him. You know, I, I, you know, that he tried to drive off and, you know, backed his car into a parking berm or something, you know, I mean, it was, and, and that's this, and I get it because the story couldn't be about it because part of her freedom was like freedom from caring what other people thinks and caring what, you know, so that's why I think that kid didn't make a resurgence in the story is because 
she doesn't care. Like, why are you treating me like this? Like, what is your damage? That's your damage, not mine. So we don't, we shouldn't have to have him come back because she didn't need to get closure with him because her closure was like, that doesn't affect me anymore. Is at least the way I was interpreting it. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it was about her breaking free and that's the sign that she had. Yeah. See, that's my problem is like, you've seen casino, right? Yeah. You know, there's the Robert De Niro and the Joe Pesci character. And then when Robert De Niro goes up to the one guy or something, when they're in the casino and, uh, you know, he, the guy didn't pay the bill or whatever. And he just comes up and says, you know, the guy made some real bad comment or whatever. And Joe Pesci just goes ballistic and just beats the snot out of the guy. And then Robert De Niro's character is sitting there just going, man, you know, so-and-so he went crazy and just beat the heck out of the guy. He's like, for me, I'm just, why was he behaving like that? Like the guy, like his character was just trying to like, what is, what makes this guy tick? Like what, why are you doing that? The Joe Pesci character just doesn't care. He just goes ballistic and beats the tar out of the guy. And that's kind of the dichotomy in my mind. Like I kind of vacillate back and forth. Like part of me wants to be the, why are you doing this? But then the other part of me wants to get the baseball bat and, you know. I I guess that's the baseball bat. But I guess, you know, that's why like last week when we were talking about last week, when we were talking about Mm -hmm. Thelma Louise, you know, that's where you have those scenes that, well, we didn't even talk about, but in case you haven't seen Thelma Louise, this is going to be a flashback. So spoiler alert. But you have that trucker that just all movie was like, that's where you get the payoff is when they open up on the guys, you know, he was a tanker truck or whatever. And all of a sudden that thing just kablamo, <laughs> you know, you get that like uh bullheaded kind of sense of yeah, you picked on the wrong, you know, right. You know, you broke into the wrong rec room kind of thing. <laughs> Whereas in this movie, it has to be a little bit more less action movie oriented and more real life oriented. But anyways, that's the scene. That's one of the scenes that really hurt um, is when she was just like, you know, why are you behaving like this? You know? Yeah. And funny that you should mention tremors because uh, as we were watching this, I I was pulling up some different things and I told Sharon because Reba McIntyre is one of her favorite country singers and always has been, you know, probably her favorite country singer of all time. And uh, I saw something on here that actually they are making a fried green tomatoes TV series for NBC and Reba McIntyre is going to play um, Iggy. So I guess it's kind of a little bit more of an updated, like maybe kind of a sequel type movie. So Iggy is just a little bit older uh, and it's about her, you know, after the events of this movie. And so, yeah, so I had not heard anything about that, but Interesting. Look like it's gonna be interesting. Agreed. All right. Do we have anything else we want to say about fried green tomatoes? Music. Um, oh, I wonder yeah. what Pat thought of the way they use that theme. The little yeah, like that's that me has always said to movie like if it's on in another room and i hear it mm-hmm. i picture this movie yeah i really like the movie music in this movie and if i remember 
um, I want to look up. I don't remember who did the music in this. Maybe, it was um, uh, Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman. Is that there's? I I know I should know everything about music, but there's an. Am I thinking of a? There's another Newman. Randy is Thomas Newman and Randy Newman. Are they related? Are they like? Oh, that would uh, be interesting because out of it, we had an interesting folksy feel to it. Yeah. In any event, I I also I agree. I like the music. I like the. I like the, what is it called? I always mess up this term, diegetic music. You know, like yeah. when they're in the cafe and they've got, they've got some of that, um, they got jazz playing. I, I mean, I, I love jazz. So there you go. I really like that this score had what was being played was, was more, it had a, definitely had a blues flavor to it. And I think it really, I think it really worked in this film. Um, Randy Newman is Thomas Newman's cousin cousin okay i thought there were yeah okay but i mean it was um yeah i agree bo i mean I, I like it and i and that's another thing like both of these these last two weeks uh both movies i want to see again you know i really like sometime this year i want to rewatch thelma and louise i want to rewatch fried green tomatoes um and i want to really key into the to the music because i thought it really it played a real strong role in setting the scene, I think, for a lot of this. I I love the preacher scene, you know, where he testifies. Yeah. He's like, you know, we had a revival for three days. Well, three days? Three days. Do you attend church? Yes, I do. <laughs> You've never attended one of our revivals, you know, and, and – uh, I can't believe he did that on the Bible. Well, that wasn't the Bible. That was a copy of Moby Dick. <laughs> okay. Well, the judge I mean, had looked at it closer. He would have seen it was a copy of Moby Dick. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, um, you know, and, and they, they, yeah, boy, that, uh, that Jim Crow kind of south, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just, ugh, I, um, you know, and obviously in this movie, it's kind of, painted happily ever after mm-hmm. kind of scene yeah you know but boy that's <clears throat> with uh lynchings and mm-hmm. you know fair trial and all right. that kind of stuff that's right you know you we can't turn a blind eye to it but boy that's that's uh that's hard to watch you know that's hard to watch so I, I had just looked up something on um, Thomas Newman and his cousin being Randy Newman. And then uh, Alfred Newman was his dad. And I was okay. like, I was like, well, I've seen that name many times before. Um, he was, was he, let's see, was it nominated for an Oscar for composing over 45 times during his career? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alfred Newman? Alfred Newman. Yeah. I mean, he did. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did movies like uh, The Robe. I remember seeing that mm-hmm. one when I was a kid. He did The King and I. He did The Diary of Anne Frank. Um, yeah. Just a ton of, ton of movie scores over the mm-hmm. course of his life. And then uh, the last one, I think the last, yeah, the last score he did was, um, let's see, 1970. So, I mean, he was active for easily over, what, three decades? Mm-hmm. 
three or four decades. Yeah. And just a ton of movies. Greatest story ever told. Yeah. So, I mean, talk about a powerhouse musical family. Yeah. They did just a few things. You know. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Newmans. <laughs> well, why don't we go ahead and jump on into three questions? He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. What is your favorite vegetable? Broccoli with lots of butter. Hmm. Steamed broccoli. There you go. Patrick, what do you got? My, sorry about that. My answer is yes. I like all the vegetables. I want to eat all the vegetables. I mm -hmm. love all the vegetables. I love them. I can't, like, I'm, I'm sitting here. I can't figure out, you know, because I'm like spinach. I love spinach, like mm -hmm. baby spinach. On oh, what about corn on the cob? Mm -hmm. Oh, what about like peppers and onions and Wait a minute, portobello mushrooms. Mmm, grilled portobello mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm Then I realized, like, oh, I'm just going to chop all the vegetables into <laughs> the frying pan, or not frying pan, or saute pan, or whatever you call it, you know, and just cook all those up. Then I'm going to add some rice and some beans. Mmm, I like all the vegetables. And then I like colorful vegetables, and I like salads. I like chopped salads with a little vinegar on them. John, I'm sorry. I'm not going to reject the question, but I'm just going to answer all the answers. Pat just rejected your question. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Would have liked the salad I made tonight. Um, it was a nice big full of stuff. Oh, yeah. Very good. Oh, yeah. They were uh, the grocery stores lately have had a sale on asparagus. Ah, and if I you if you had told me that as a child, I would enjoy asparagus someday, mm -hmm. I would have told you that you were out of your mind, mm -hmm. completely out of your mind. And um, I would now go back in time and I would tell childhood me that you are wrong. You are very, very wrong. And you can sit there in your wrongness and continue to be wrong. There's nothing like a good crispy piece of asparagus. Oh. We, uh, when, when the weather is nice, which I'm hoping we can get rid of some more of the snow so I can get back out to the grill that's been covered in the backyard. Uh, nice, a nice grilled, uh, mm -hmm. asparagus, just a little bit, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of salt mm -hmm. on the grill for a while. That's all it needs. So actually I bought a whole bunch of it since it was on sale at the store. And what's funny is um, Nora, I mean, she, she just, she loves vegetables. Like she, her favorite vegetable, she says was celery. And oh, I was like, cool. And I was like, well, don't you want to pick one that actually has a flavor? But <laughs> you know, she, she enjoys it and that's totally fine. Um, but it was so funny, you know, as a kid, I never would have done this. But when I brought home that asparagus, like the, the first time, we, we didn't fix it for dinner. We didn't fix it, I think, for like lunch the next day. But, you know, sometimes, especially on Saturday mornings, 
well, I have to go to work. Uh, Nora and I will be the first ones to get up and we'll actually kind of make breakfast together. So we'll mm-hmm. either do like, we we'll, might do like pancakes or we might do like omelets or something like that. And the one Saturday I brought out the asparagus and she's like, oh, asparagus for breakfast. This is like mm-hmm. the best day ever. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, it is. That's fun. The hollandaise sauce if you're doing it for breakfast. <laughs> mm. That sounds good. Yeah. Love it. So Pat's going to go watch the Matrix trilogy and have a uh, whole bunch of ve- whole bunch of uh, steamed vegetables tonight. Yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> that's probably what's going to happen. Or I'm going to tell you a little carrot and cucumber. There Not carrot and cucumber. I'm sorry. Uh, tomato and cucumber. Okay. Slice those suckers open. Put a little bit of salt on there. Mm-hmm. Some pepper. There you go. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, we... Um, when I asked this question around the dinner table, it, it got actually pretty quick answers. Um, Nora's was celery, like right away, like celery. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sharon's was either green peas or green beans. Mm-hmm. Yes. And John and I both, well, now my, my kind of runners up would be broccoli, would be asparagus, uh, would be a, a, my second runner up would be or my first runner-up, I guess, would be a, a nice, sweet corn on the cob. Yeah. My absolute first, and I know that, like, the unhealthy nature of this probably counteracts the fact that it's a vegetable, but both John and I immediately answered fried broccoli, or fried uh, fried okra. There you go. Like, gotta have the fried okra. My, uh, you know, well, and, and, you know, being from the south or spend some time there in the south john or you know with okra that's kind of my goal this summer is i want to like figure out how to cook prepare and do okra mm-hmm. that's kind of mm-hmm. that's going to be one of my goals and it's got to be and i and i wish it wasn't because i had bought some one time with the intention of making it in a way that i would enjoy it not fried and so i, I did at the store i bought some okra one time and i just it's I, I know it's sure. it's not healthy, but I'm like it's for me to like it. It's got to be fried, and when you fry up that okra, yeah. that's the best vegetable ever. Yeah. So. Have, have now? Do you guys like do you guys like mushrooms? Um, I'm fine with them. I don't know that anybody else in the family is really a big mushroom fan. Have you have you like gr- have you gotten like the big portobello mushroom caps and like grilled them? No, I've wanted to. Like when when the weather's oh. good, like I I've been wanting to like get more and more stuff to just grill and have everybody try grilled because yeah. because they didn't really like actually I don't think they really liked asparagus until I did grilled asparagus and then yeah. at least Nora really liked it. Yeah, cuz we'll we'll do that. We'll roast asparagus. We'll roast Brussels sprouts. Oh, roasted Brussels sprouts right. with some olive oil and, and all that is really good. But yeah, I can't, uh, you know, our other host, Dennis Matush and I often will talk about, um, our love of mushrooms mm-hmm. and, and not, and not like, that's just not the psychedelic stuff. That's not what I'm saying, but just the love of mushrooms and yeah, you grill those things right up. So like, yeah, but boy, see, you guys, you guys t- go running at like odd hours and <laughs> you, you'd have to give me some of those psychedelic mushrooms to get me to go running. <laughs> <laughs> well that's another podcast for another yeah. time um but uh uh no my gosh those portobello mushroom sandwiches and mm. and uh if you're looking for one like like fast foodie kind of thing portillo's has a fantastical um grilled portobello mushroom sandwich mm. hmm. In this, this time of year they have their uh their uh pepper and egg sandwich Mm. Mm. I'm a big fan of. That sounds good. Yes. 
All right. Uh, question number two. If you owned a diner, what would your signature dish be? Uh, a loaded baked potato. Mm. With chicken and broccoli and cheese and bacon and sour cream and did I mention bacon? Uh, maybe some more broccoli. There used to be a little place in Libertyville, Fines. Mm-hmm. They had this little build your own uh, salad bar and build your own potato bar. And I would mm. just get the biggest potato they had. And I would just go down the list, just put a little bit of that in there, green <laughs> pepper, anything, anything. Mm-hmm. Load up that potato, melt some cheese on top, drop some sour cream over it. And. And you can see my love of carbs coming through in <laughs> every way. <laughs> uh, sounds good. Potatoes. Mm-hmm. I, if I was going to do it, I'd probably have like a, uh, like red beans and rice dish. I'm kind of experimenting with those different beans and rice um, things with, you know, Try like my thing is always like every vegetable in the fridge is going in, but now I'm actually like experimenting with like, let me try these tastes together and trying to you know, you know actually make something, you know, and in 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 trying different seasonings and all that. So I'd say some kind of thing that the base of it is beans and rice, but then like a ton of veggies in there as well. So. I would say I think traditionally my first response would be some kind of a burger and mm. then, and then just, you know, do it upright with whether you go, whether you do it with the fried egg on top or something like that or mm. avocado or whatever. But I, the only thing, the only thing that I think I, I would have any kind of claim to fame for is like in the morning times on a, especially on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning when Nora and I are making breakfast, a lot of times I will, you know, I'll try to, I'll try to pull out whatever's in the fridge and be like, Hey, we got some stuff we probably got to get rid of let me make some kind of like a breakfast burrito or a breakfast taco or, or something like that. So kind of been experimenting a little bit with, uh, especially because we've had to, we've switched over to gluten-free everything. Um, and we have actually found some gluten-free tortillas that are as close as you can possibly get to a flour tortilla. Wow, and, and that's they, impressive. And they actually taste pretty close. I mean, they're, nice. yeah, you almost can't tell the, the only difference is in the consistency of the tortilla itself mm-hmm. is that it's a little bit you know especially for folding and things like that it's a little stiff or a little stiffer oh, okay. than a than a flour tortilla would be um but i have found like lately there there was a little thing that uh you know i think i don't know that nora had one i think i fixed it for john um where we kind of we kind of sliced the tortilla just a little bit from the middle, uh, sliced it down about halfway, and then uh, putting different foods in the kind of the four quadrants of the tortilla, and then folding it over until you had a little like a, almost like a um, what do they call those a Taco Bell like a crunch wrap kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Kind of folded everything over until it's in one sandwich, and then kind of grilling it, uh, grilling it on both sides a little bit just to kind of give it a nice little little crunch to it on the outside and so lately that's that's been getting filled with um usually a little bit of cheese some uh guacamole 
a little bit of egg, either scrambled eggs or fried egg, and then whatever whatever meat we've got around, either some breakfast sausages or bacon or you know whatever we might have left over from stuff we had for dinner. Well, you succeeded in making me hungry. Well, there you go. <laughs> if it wasn't the not time that it that is currently, I'd far I, away to go. I'm well, saying. As I say, if it's not the t- if it's not the time that it was currently later at night, I'd be like, well, I got time to fix a couple of those now. It's almost breakfast time now. Yeah, it's true. It's pre-breakfast. Yes. Oh, I did. Second breakfast. Thirdsies. Yes. Elevensies. Elevensies. Good times. All right. And last question. What is your biggest parking lot pet peeve? <laughs> And does it reach the level of where you'd slam into somebody four times? Well, it doesn't reach to that level because if I did that, I think I would kill them. Um, okay. I hate when you're in the parking lot, you're going down the aisle, and they're walking three people across in the middle mm. of the aisle. Yeah. And they're walking so slowly. Yeah. You're either going into the store or back to your car. You know exactly where you're going. You're in a parking lot, not a walking lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they place for vehicles. Get out of my way. It's the Single lack file. of situational awareness that really yes. grates on me. Mm-hmm. And that's like going down the path, going down a sidewalk, going down to whatever. Be aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. Or at least have the wherewithal to apologize when you realize that you weren't aware of your surroundings and you're doing something ridiculous and you know those are the same people that if you were caught walking down the middle of the aisle be honking at you mm-hmm. yeah that or just bump you out it. of the way well there's yeah. that no i hear you man i hear you <sighs> yeah that's a yeah i get what you're saying john what about yourself Mine is a little bit less of a pet peeve. It's it's a little bit more of a when we notice it, we kind of have to just laugh at it. Mm. Um, Sharon and I were going to a we had gotten some tickets from some family members to go see a show at the uh, Lincolnshire Marriott and mm. they were doing a Beatles uh, tribute band. Uh, mm. I think it was American English. Might have been American English oh. was there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we were going to see them. And we got there a little early and we parked and, and I think we were bringing the average age down by quite a bit, um, you know, just by the two of us being there. And um, what was funny was we got there, we parked our car and we're like, ah, it's, it's a little bit too early to go inside. So we'll just sit in the car, we'll listen to music for a little bit. And so we did. And what we noticed was, <clears throat> and and so we decided that we would refer to this as, uh, and it tended to be, I don't want to say exclusively, but it tended to be men. So we decided that men of a certain age have to back into their parking spots. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because the first, we saw the first couple do it and we're like, huh, like, is everybody around us backing into their parking spots? And then we noticed that as the people got out of their cars, it was, it was all, older men, you know, with the, the kind of, uh, frosted white or grayish hair. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it was kind of like, it was an observation when the first two or three did it, 
But after about five or six that also backed their cars into their parking spots, we're like, huh, is this just a pattern? <laughs> is it once you reach a certain age, do you have to back into your parking spot? So I don't know that I have too many other pet peeves. I mean, I, it, it drives me nuts when somebody parks too close to me. Uh, you know, they, they go too far on one side of the spot or they take up two spots or, you know, stuff like that. But I, I think that one, not as much a pet peeve, just kind of an interesting observation we've noticed. My father. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Is big into the backing into the space. Mm -hmm. It has something to do with... He swears or it's something about backing into moving traffic. He has a whole theory. I I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well and he does it everywhere. He does it at home, into the garage. <laughs> at some point it's a little obnoxious. <laughs> well, I'm gonna go ahead and swim upstream a little bit and say I tend to back into parking spots. <laughs> I, but no, I, I get what you're saying. Like, uh, well, you are uh, older just, than us, Pat. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. The real That's, question is, does Dennis? Okay. It's, uh, 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 could you back yeah. a bicycle into a parking spot? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I, um, you know what? You just, around in yeah. the spot <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right you just pick it up and you know yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying though and it's funny because it does seem to be a certain demographic does that i mean i'll, I'll just say it i started backing in and it's because sometimes like the uh it, um when you're pulling out especially if the rows are real close together you're pulling out and you don't want to bump the other side so sometimes it's better just to kind of back in so then you can just like head out and not worry about you know popping anything you know Isn't accidentally. Isn't it just as hard to back into that space most of the time? It I, I would say well I mean possibly but you know I just kind of use the mirrors and you know just, and just go. curious because I have this conversation with my dad on a regular basis so yeah, I am intrigued. Yeah I, I just say you know it's I think just because, yeah, you know, you got to watch that you don't back into another parked car. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, that, you know, in the beginning, that took me a little bit of time to get like comfortable with, you know, and, and knowing the car and, you know, watching the mirrors and all that. I. The other thing is I won't hold up a line of traffic to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like if I'm pulling in and it's like, oh, I want to back in, but I'll look. Is there a car behind me? Do I have enough time? Like, I got to get this right. Like, you know, and go. Yeah. And then like, if it, if it, if I start to hold up a car and I'm like, okay, I can get this in, I'll get in. Okay. Let them go. But if it looks like I'm holding people up, I just, Hey, I'll put it in park. I'll circle around again. I give them the wave. Hey, sorry to hold you. Like, I don't want to be holding someone up with that. Oh yeah. I got you. So, but yeah, yeah. It's, I just find, I find it's easier. A lot of times I park away though. You know, so like John, kind of your pet peeve, I get what you're saying is like, my thing is, it's like, let's say you're in a lot and there's like three cars and 50 spaces. I'll park over by where no one else is. And then I'll come out and suddenly there's a car parked right next to me. And it's like, why? Why are you parking right next to my car? Like, they're like, skip a spot. I usually park far away from the building, park close to the building, park another, yeah, like that's kind of the thing is, kind of i don't know if this is exactly what you're saying john but kind of along those lines it's like 
you know, I understand if the lot's full, you got to park next to people. But if the lot's not full, why, why are you parking right next to my car? Like, Lemmings, I don't. Lemmings, man. What was C1, that? Lemmings. Yeah. C1, do one. The human race is at that. Mm-hmm. Oh, he parked here. There must be a good reason. Mm-hmm. No, this spot. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like the other, like, parking pet peeve that. I do see on occasion is uh, people that have Jeeps. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when my dad has had his Jeep, it was probably kind of the same thing. Uh, it, people that I know that have Jeeps tend to park on top of things. <laughs> like there is, there is one person there. Okay. Without, I don't know if they'd be listening to this or not. Um, there is one person that I know that has a Jeep and Whenever I see their Jeep in a parking lot, um, they always find a mound of dirt or a mound of snow or whatever it is. And they park with one wheel up on that mound of every single time. Like they seek it out. It's not even in the same place every time. Yeah. They seek it out and they park like that. And that's fine. I mean, that's, you know, that's their prerogative if they want to do that or not. It just, every time I see it, I just go, ugh. Jeep people. Well, they're taking a space that you couldn't because your car can't do that. That's my, hey, my car could do that. It would be the last thing it ever did. No, okay. But it could do that. I'll give you that. All right. It's incorrect. Are you trying to tell me my wow. Nissan Sentra can't? <laughs> no, I, I could tell you my Nissan Sentra can't do that. Fly, yes. Land, no. Right. No, no. no. So oh, that would be my only other pet peeve is Jeep drivers and how they park. Yeah. I, I don't want to broaden the scope of this too much because a pet peeve is that you can't just say every other human being, you know, but I mean, I, I might say every other human being, well. like, I guess <laughs> another it's just when people drive too fast in like a place that shouldn't be driven too fast. You know what I'm saying? Like racing around a parking lot is dumb to me you know i mean it's it's kind of stupid and there's nothing that anyone is going to say that is going to convince me otherwise like i don't care if you're driving a 600 horsepower lamborghini you don't need to fly through a parking lot like that fast slow down it's a parking lot chill same thing with like neighborhood streets right like you're not showing anything off to me like about like racing through a 25 mile an hour, like place where kids are playing like that, 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 you know, your driving prowess, that doesn't, doesn't impress me. Now you want to go out in the middle of nowhere and wail on a car, more power to you. But I don't know, there's, there's racetracks and places to go where, so I guess that would be my pet peeve is, is like, just, just slow down. It's a parking lot. All right. Well, now that we've offended Jeep owners and, um, you know, all, all the other people, maybe there's a Jeep owner out there that really also likes home alone. And so Pat, you and I have both got them completely covered. That's true. And, and although, we've, we've caused issues. Although, uh, we used to own a Jeep oh, and, you did? uh, yeah. We, did you park it that way too? Is that why you were laughing when I said all that? Because you thought I was talking about you? <laughs> no. Oh. Well, you said that your dad used to do it when he had a Jeep, right? Yeah. yeah it's well, like he would do it. And see, that was kind of the funny thing is his, 
his definition of Jeep is very different from like when you think of like army Jeep kind of thing, which is what he had when he was in high school. His Jeep that he had was a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Right. So different kind of Jeep, but he treated it like it was an old army Jeep. Oh, and so sometimes he, and he would do that. He'd, he'd like, he'd laugh a little bit and he'd like, you know what? Curbs are for people that don't drive Jeeps. <laughs> and so he would like drive up over, if there was like a curb separating like two separate parking lots for two separate businesses, he would yeah. just go right up over that thing. He'd be like, nah, this is for people that don't have Jeeps. And he'd drive yeah, right over it. Wouldn't understand. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hey, you know, all it takes is one trip to one of those Jeep jamborees and, Mm-hmm. You know, I, the, the first time he took this thing on it, he drove, he and I were, we were down in Southwest Missouri, kind of in the area that he had grown up. And so he knew this path through the, the hills back there that was really, I mean, to call it a road would be generous. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, I mean, it, it was, we were practically off-roading in this thing mm-hmm. and it was, it was this narrow one lane dirt path up the side of a hill up the side of a almost a mountain and uh i think i was holding on for dear life the entire time we were going up there because i kept looking out the passenger window and only seeing a very steep drop next Mm -hmm. to where i was and um and so i remember like he was so excited because he used to take his army jeep up there and i kept trying to tell him this is not the same as an army jeep and Mm -hmm. uh he you know he he was all about you know this jeep is going to we're going to go off-roading. We're going to, yeah. First time I ever helped him fix a flat tire was about 10 minutes after that trip up the mountain. Yes. There it is. There it is. Oh, oh that's funny. One of our colleagues, uh, they, when they plow the parking lot, you know, there's like that hill of snow. Mm-hmm. I swear one of our colleagues came in and that sucker was like, looked like it was on one of those lifts at the front of a dealership. Like they, they drove that their truck, it might not have been a Jeep, but their mm-hmm. trucker, it was up, it was up on a thing so that like the bottom of the wheel was like at head level when you'd walk mm-hmm. by. So it's like, that's impressive. Jeep people. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode for fried green tomatoes. Uh, thank you, Pat. And thank you, Bo. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. So if you are wanting to look ahead to some of our future episodes, uh, I'll give you our next episodes coming up here in just a second. But 30podcast.com, that's where you can go find out our, our past episodes, current episodes, um, You know, find out more about how you can get in touch with us, how you can join us on Patreon, become a co-executive producer of the show. And then don't forget to check out our sponsor and the rest of the shows of the Scenes, Scene Stealers Podcast Network by heading over to scenestealersglobal.com um, so go over there and check them out our next episodes as i mentioned coming up to finish off the month of march we have soap dish and then as we go on into april we've got doc hollywood the hard way raiders of the lost ark is our april patreon episode la story and career opportunities finish off the month of april in May, uh, we've got Boys in the Hood, Bugsy. Our May Patreon is The French Connection from 1971. The Last Boy Scout and Point Break is the rest of May. And then in June, we've got Ricochet, JFK, The Guns of the Navarone is June yes. uh, June Patreon, 1961. Yes. And then we finish it off with Naked Gun, Two and a Half, Hot Shots, and Toy Soldiers. So we have got a lot of good stuff coming up soon. 
lots and lots of good stuff. So that is it. That is it coming up. So if you want to get ahead, go check out those movies, uh, see if you can find them, and then you will be ahead of the game when we cover those over the next few months or so. It is, I, I'm just going to say right now, it's very, very strange that uh, when we're recording this, it is at the beginning of March already. And um, I, we're like, we're already reading off the names of the movies that are going to be coming up halfway through the year. It's, it's like a little weird how fast this is going. Mm -hmm. Time flies so. and you're having fun. Right. And other times too. Yes. Apparently. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, gentlemen. Where? I don't know. Who walked in? <laughs> Wasn't that the old Three Stooges thing? Yeah. Gentlemen. Who stepped in? Yes. <laughs> gentlemen. Uh. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. And everybody, you too. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Go watch some good movies. We'll see you back here next time.